welcome back to the Nourish Your Potential podcast. My name is Kushla Holdaway and this episode is my first in the bite-sized series where I discuss a specific topic in a bite-sized chunk. A bit of a disclaimer before I get much more into this episode is that if you are in recovery from disordered eating or an eating disorder, this may not be the right time for you to listen to this podcast. So best to skip this one and you're always welcome to come back and listen to this episode when the time is right for you. As another heads up, mental health and suicide is also mentioned in this specific episode. Initially, I was going to do a bite-sized episode covering all the eating disorders and the disordered eating spectrum, but soon realised it would be much more than a bite-sized episode. So... I have decided to do several bite-sized episodes focusing on various eating disorders. In my practice, I work with a lot of people with disordered eating and recovering from eating disorders when they're in a more stable part of their treatment. To give an overview of the eating disorders, I will mention the DSM-5, which is a diagnostic tool for eating disorders. Although it's an excellent diagnostic tool, It is not the be-all and end-all, as people may not fit neatly into just one category, and their symptoms may actually change over time as well. But the DSM-5 is a very important diagnostic tool, and it was last updated in 2013. And in this update, they removed EDNOS, which is Eating Disorder Not Otherwise Specified, and added Binge Eating Disorder, and ARFID, which is Avoidant Restrictive Food Intake Disorder, and also OSFED, which is Other Specified Feeding or Eating Disorder. I think it's highly likely in the next update they do of the DSM-5 that orthorexia, which you may all have heard of, uh, will be added. So it'll be interesting to see what happens there. So in the actual DSM-5, the current disorders in there is PICA, which is uh, eating non-food substances, Rumination disorder, or what you may have heard of as uh, chew and spit, or other similarities to that. Uh, as I mentioned, ARFID and OSFED, uh, bulimia nervosa, binge eating disorder, and what I'll be discussing in detail today, which is anorexia nervosa, which has subtypes of restriction or restriction with binge and or purging behaviours. So... Anorexia nervosa is a serious illness characterized by a persistent restriction of energy intake, which leads to really low body weight in the context of that individual. So that's really important. So that could be in terms of their age, um, their growth and development, their gender, and also what their baseline physical health was before the disorder as well. BMI is not always valid as we know anorexia nervosa can occur in all body types and it's actually really concerning to think that someone in a larger body may initially be praised for the disordered changes in their behaviour. So the two subtypes I mentioned in anorexia and the proper name is anorexia nervosa but for the purpose of this episode I'm just going to refer to it as anorexia uh, restricting type. So this is where they will restrict types of food Um, the amount of food, so they'll quite obsessively calorie count. They might limit the number of meals they're having a day, and they often have very obsessive and rigid food rules. 
The other subtype of anorexia is what we would call binge eating and or purging subtype. And this is really serious. It has both the restrictive component and also the individual partake in periods of binge eating and or purging through the means of excessive exercise, uh, self-induced vomiting, misuse of laxatives, diuretics, or even enemas. So yeah, that's the two categories there. So anorexia as a whole is characterized by an irrational fear of weight gain. And generally the individual will have extreme or even very bizarre eating habits or, or rituals. Uh, and possibly, as I said, they may have those compensatory behaviors in an effort to burn off um, the calories they've consumed. Anorexia very often coincides with an increase in exercise, and very commonly we would see um, compulsive exercise behavior as well. Uh, The behaviors of dieting or food restriction with or without the excessive exercise can occur basically to the point of self-starvation, and this may result in death. Anorexia is the third most common chronic disorder affecting adolescent girls with the highest mortality rate of all psychiatric disorders. So that's pretty big. And we know that around one in five individuals with anorexia who die prematurely die by suicide. So eating disorders are are really serious and awareness is key. Also being proactive and well-informed and not alarmist from the perspective of health professionals and and those who may work in um, groups with high-risk people as well. So anorexia affects around 1% females and 0.5% males, and the average age of onset tends to be around mid-adolescence, but it does not discriminate between gender, age, race, um, etc. Um, Younger and older adults may also present for treatment, and sadly, in, in practice, we are seeing anorexia in even young children. Just a note here on male athletes, and, and not just in terms of anorexia, in terms of disordered eating. So while many signs and symptoms affect both men and women, it's also important to acknowledge that male athletes tend to demonstrate more subclinical symptoms uh, more frequently than female athletes. So in males, we um, tend to see a preoccupation with, say, masculinity and muscle growth, and that may include the use of anabolic steroids. Uh, We may see weight cycling, particularly in those sports that are are weight categorised. They tend to have a preoccupation with power-to-weight ratio, and this is very true of cyclists. Um, And an internalised pressure to look a certain way, look like the type of sport they're involved in or look like an athlete. And also, if there's a focus on um, muscle growth and, and getting big, that can actually also include binge eating for weight gain as well. So that's just a little side note on that. In terms of recovery from anorexia nervosa, about 40 to 50% will make a full, complete recovery. About another 30% will have what we'd consider a partial recovery, and around 20% would be what we'd consider to have a a chronic course of the illness. 
there's a strong statistical association between the duration of illness and chances of recovery. And adolescents with an illness duration of up to three years have a good chance of full recovery when treated with family-based treatment, such as the Maudsley model. However, after an illness duration of six years or more, the chances of full clinical recovery, at least statistically, decrease quite significantly. But there are reports of individual cases who have achieved close to full or at least partial recovery after many years of the illness. So it's important to always remain recovery orientated and develop really realistic and achievable treatment goals that are specific for each individual. Really interesting when you start to look at some of the factors that contribute to the development of anorexia. Um, they're very complex, but there is a strong genetic component. And interestingly, there's been some studies done, including in New Zealand more recently, on this. Um, I had a little bit of involvement in these myself, and, and it's some really interesting stuff coming out. But, but basically, there's genes that tend to get switched on through environmental triggers, you could say, um, which you know may be that good old dieting behavior um, that always starts off as just a few changes and soon develops into a full-blown eating disorder. Um, the extreme exercising and particularly uh, a crucial stage for all this happening is around that mid-adolescence post-puberty stage. Uh, there's also a lot of personality traits. So if we look at some of those, um, what may predispose an individual to an eating disorder, we're looking at someone who is uh, what we'd consider A-type or um, like shows a lot of perfectionism. Everything has to be perfect. Um, they may be what we would call intuitive, which is, I guess, a really nice way of saying someone's really sensitive, um, which isn't a bad thing. Uh, it's just everyone's different and it tends to be more the sensitive type person. Um, difficulty expressing, expressing their emotions, uh, being impulsive, having low self-esteem, um, previous, previous trauma and also having uh, maybe an experience of bullying or being teased, especially if it was about their, their weight, appearance or, or size. Um, yeah, they, they definitely predispose someone to an eating disorder. Biological risk factors, as I said, genetics plays a big role, interestingly enough. Um, and in terms of environmental factors as well, so having a family member with an ED significantly increases someone's lifetime risk. Um, if we think about society's ideals of beauty and body shape, <laughs> uh, that's certainly a big one. Uh, involvement in certain sports or or even careers that may emphasize a certain body shape or size so I'm talking about things like modeling um, ballet dancers athletes gymnasts all very much high-risk areas um, and also the environment of uh, family and friends and you know what you've grown up with and I guess peer pressure um, or maybe growing up in a family environment where there was a lot of focus on appearance or thinness. Um, yeah, that it's very interesting. Um, so what are some of the signs and symptoms of anorexia nervosa specifically? So 
I mean, this is not an exhaustive list, but just, I guess, some warning signs. And, you know, some people might have one or two of these and that could definitely be in the disordered eating spectrum. I'm not diagnosing you here, um, but it's a good awareness discussion. So they may be skipping meals or refusing to eat and often lying about when they have eaten. So saying, oh, I've just had a snack, I've just eaten a meal, I'm fine, I'm not hungry. And really denying themselves of that hunger as well. They tend to, again, cut out significant um, amounts of specific foods or whole food groups um, or what they consider unhealthy foods, which is basically anything high calorie, high fat, high carb. Um, And they'll have a lot of really rigid rituals around food and sometimes quite bizarre, like they might cut their food into a certain number of pieces every time or chew food a certain number of times. There's often really obsessive tracking of their food intake and weighing everything they eat and having to know all the calories they're consuming um they will likely drink a lot of fluid or even diet drinks and chew gum constantly like all day long um cooking for others but never eating it themselves body checking is a really interesting one and this can be in many forms so some examples might be pinching your abdomen, weighing yourself really frequently, um, trying to feel your bones, that type of thing. And in people with anorexia like this can be every hour of the day. <laughs> like quite like I'm not just meaning weighing yourself once a week, it's uh, next level like they are probably weighing themselves multiple times per day and body checking multiple times as well. With the subtypes I mentioned, they may or may not be purging or compensatory behaviours. Um, someone with an eating disorder or anorexia, sorry, I meant to be specifically talking about anorexia, uh, wear, wearing baggy clothes and layering clothes to hide their body because they often feel um, quite ashamed of their body size because what they see is a lot bigger than what is what's really true. Um, they'll often complain about feeling really full or, or fat Um, or bloated and just completely preoccupied with food and they'll often you know constantly watch uh, maybe like food tv or youtube clips um, follow a lot of foodie accounts um, always looking at recipes like quite an obsessive preoccupation with food Um, some of the psychological changes so very much a distorted perception and very much in denial of how serious their situation is or how unwell they are. They just don't see that. And there's a very wide gap between what they see as their self-image and what their actual appearance is. They'll have difficulty concentrating, they'll be really restless or, or possibly hyperactive and really forgetful. Um, anorexia is very interesting in that it often comes alongside other psychiatric illnesses so obsessive compulsive disorder or OCD is on the anxiety spectrum and individuals that have OCD are often looking to control their environment and the world around them with rigid rituals much like anorexia so they kind of go hand in hand a lot of the time And the individual with anorexia uses certain rules and rituals around food and sometimes exercise specifically as a means to feel more secure and safe. So both disorders have very intrusive thoughts and um, can have quite compulsive 
behavioral components as well, especially around exercise. And we know that about two thirds of people with eating disorders will also suffer from an anxiety disorder with OCD being the most common. And some studies have shown that in women with anorexia nervosa, the rate of OCD is between 25 and 69%. So a very big range, but very interesting consideration. And the other uh, really common one is anorexia nervosa. Um, very common. comes alongside depression and or anxiety. Um, and therefore, other factors you may see is quite significant changes in someone's personality or mood, becoming really withdrawn um, and a huge lack of motivation basically for everything except exercise and food. And lastly, some of the physical changes you may see uh, is obviously an unusually thin appearance or dramatic weight loss. It it's usually happens very rapidly as well, especially in adolescence. So just important to watch out for that because it can happen so quickly. Uh amenorrhea or absence of periods in women and girls, fatigue, dizziness, fainting, um, brittle hair, nails, hair falling out, uh, having a soft downy hair covering the body, abdominal, uh, abdominal uh, gastrointestinal issues, so abdominal pain, bloating, constipation, feeling cold all the time, uh, we may see abnormalities in blood tests, uh, there may be cardiovascular changes such as irregular heart rhythms or having a very low pulse, um, low blood pressure, they may be dehydrated and of course all of that can really affect bone health so there's generally a loss of bone mass. <clears throat> so that's basically uh, some of the signs and symptoms in terms of behaviours, um, psychological changes and physical changes. So as dietitians. We cannot diagnose eating disorders, but we have a very, very important role in the care and treatment of individuals with eating disorders. If you're concerned in any way about someone you know or yourself, then please reach out to a qualified health professional who specializes in eating disorders. As discussed, successful recovery from eating disorders requires prompt treatment and full recovery is realistic in people who seek help early in their illness. So that's the end of today's bite-sized episode on eating disorders with a focus on anorexia nervosa. I will be back for more bite-sized episodes on certain topics, including covering the other eating disorders and the spectrum of disordered eating that has become such a prevalent part of our society. If you have any questions or concerns, please feel free to reach out. But until next time, that's the end of today's episode.